Welcome to C3 Hobart Online. We hope that you enjoy this message today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, make sure that you listen till the end to find out how. How are we doing? Great. Turn to the person next to you and say, buckle up. Turn to the person on the other side and say, you might need a helmet. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kelly Dunn and I am married to Aaron. And together, we have been coming to this church for 10 years. In fact, yesterday marked 10 years since we first walked through the doors. It is an achievement through C3 Hobart. We absolutely love it here. We found a home here. We found a family here. We found our people here. Can I get an amen? And um, in the time that we've been here, we have had four children. We took the command to be fruitful and multiply very seriously. And so we have a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old and a 2-year-old and we would appreciate your prayers. (laughs) But when I've been preparing this message, I've actually been reflecting on this game that I often play with my children and I've been playing it a lot with my 6-year-old of late. And the game is called How Tight do you want it? And the way that we play is I'll sit down on a couch and I'll put him on my lap and I'll say, hey, on a scale of naught to 10, naught being the lowest and 10 being the highest, how tight do you want it? And he usually answers something like, I want a six because I'm six. And so I'll wrap my arms around him and I'll start to squeeze him. But I'm, I'm not just giving him a hug. I'm like, I'm squeezing. And I'm squeezing him so tight that he is definitely feeling uncomfortable. I'm squeezing him so tight that no way is he going to be able to get a deep breath in. And I'll hold it there for a sec and then I'll let go. And he'll explode into a fit of giggles and say, again, again, I want to do it again. And so I'll say, okay, okay, mate, on a scale of naught to 10, how tight do you want it? And he'll say, let's go for an eight. Okay, mate, brace yourself. And I wrap my arms around him and I start to squeeze. But this time I'm squeezing much harder than I did the first time because he's asked for an eight and before was a six. So I start to squeeze him so tight that he is definitely very uncomfortable. I start to squeeze him so tight that he is very much feeling the pressure of my arms around his little body. I squeeze him so tight that his little face starts to contort and it starts to turn red and I hold it there for a sec. And then I let go. And he'll take this deep gasp of air in and go, that was awesome. Let's do it again. But this time, go for the nine. Does any other parents play that game with their children? Oh my goodness, this happened in the nine o'clock service too. I I think I need to reassess my parenting. (laughs) But the way it kind of works when I get up here is Pastor Sean gives me a topic. And some of the topics that he gives me, I'm really excited about and I'm passionate about. Other topics he gives me, and I'm just happy to teach on them. And then sometimes he gives me these topics that I find challenging. And I find them challenging not because they're of a particularly controversial nature, 
but because I feel like when I'm preparing for this sermon, like I'm exposing a bruise and I'm having someone press down on it really hard. I'm feeling pressure to a sensitive area and it feels uncomfortable and I don't really like it. And the topic that Pastor Sean gave me to preach on today is the topic of the church. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, the topic of the church isn't really that challenging a topic, but can I submit to you that it actually is? Because nowhere in all of the Bible is the word church used to define a building or a service or a meeting. Instead, every single time the word church is used, it is used to define the people of God. So what that means then is that we don't just attend church. And church isn't just something that we volunteer at. Church is actually who we are. And there is a fundamental difference between those two ideas. And it's something that I find challenging and it's something that I find hard to accept as I'm navigating this truth because what it means is that I can't just come to an 11 o'clock service on a Sunday and participate in a service and then tick it off my to-do list and go about the rest of my week because church is about so much more than just a service in a building it's about a people and I can't just go to my connect group on a Thursday night with a bunch of women and do a bible study and then walk away and have nothing to do with those girls for the next two weeks because church is about so much more than just an academic theological pursuit in a building it's about a people and so I find that truth uncomfortable and challenging and difficult. And yet I've been feeling as I've been preparing for this, like God has been asking me, just like I asked my six-year-old, hey, Kel, how tight do you want it? How tight do you want my loving arms around you and your life? How close do you want my presence? How tight do you want it? And I believe that God isn't just asking me that question. I believe he's also asking each and every one of you, how tight do you want it? You see, I think it doesn't matter if you have been in church for 50 years or whether you walked through the doors 50 seconds ago, God can meet you where you're at and he can challenge your understanding of what church is and what relationships in the church should look like. Are you with me? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, how tight do you want it? (laughs) Guys, we're going to pray because I know you need prayer and I certainly know that I need prayer. So God... I just thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth. And God, we don't need to dress it up or water it down. It stands alone. So God, today we pray by the power of your word, you would come and reveal things to us, Lord God. And that as we look in that mirror, God, we would walk away changed because you would help us, Lord God, to change the things that we need to. In your mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I'm, um, I'm going to launch straight into it. And um, I said in the, the service before that I'm going to do a bit of teaching today. And the way teachers teach is we just ask a lot of questions. 
And uh, the first question that I want to ask is, can anyone tell me where in the Bible is the first place that God said that something was not good? And to give you a clue, it wasn't when Adam and Eve took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, although that was definitely not good. But when was the first time that God said something was not good? Excellent, whoever said that. Okay. It was like page two of our Bibles, right? So God creates the heavens and the earth and he fills it with nature. He makes animals, he makes trees, he creates Adam, he creates man. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Somebody say, not good. good. Say it again, not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now, here's my second question. Was Adam actually alone? Think about it. Was he actually alone? Come on, be bold. No, he wasn't. He he was surrounded by nature. He was with animals. But what's most important, he was actually with God. He was in relationship with God. He was in communion with God. He walked and talked with God. And yet it says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to only be in relationship with me. He also needs to be in relationship with other people. Now, before we go any further, I just want to make something abundantly clear. Our relationship with God is the most important relationship we will ever have. His grace is more than enough for us. It is the only thing that we need for wholeness, He Himself. And when everything else and everyone else fails us, He is the one who never, ever fails us. And yet, God Himself said, it is not good. It is not to your fullest advantage It is not going to allow you to live life to the absolute fullest if you are only in relationship with me. You also need to be in relationship with other people. Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. If you're taking sermon notes, you can title this message, I need you. I need you. And so God created Eve. Fast forward the story a bit. And Adam and Eve take of this tree that God specifically tells them not to take from. They sin, they miss the mark, they stuff up, and they unleash chaos into the created world, but also into their very own hearts. And they break their relationship with a perfect God. And I always think it's really interesting what the Bible says was Adam and Eve's first response, their initial reaction to when they sin. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made clothing for themselves. And I always find that really interesting, that their first response to sin 
was to realise, to recognise that they were naked. Now, newsflash, they had always been naked. But now they are recognising it and they are perceiving it as a negative thing. And so they go and get some fig leaves and they sew them together and they use those fig leaves to cover their nakedness, to cover their shame, to cover their vulnerabilities. And they did this not just to hide from God, they did this to hide those things from each other as well. You see, so often when we talk about the fall and we talk about sin, we talk about how it broke our relationship with God. And that is 100% true. But it also hindered our intimacy with each other and our willingness to share vulnerabilities and weaknesses with each other. And I love that English word intimacy because if you break it up, you can make it say, into me see. Into me see my weaknesses. Into me see my vulnerabilities. Into me see who I really am intimacy and because of sin and a broken world our intimacy with God has been broken it's been severed but also our intimacy with each other and maybe we're using something a little bit more sophisticated than fig leaves today people maybe we're using a highlight reel on Instagram to cover our weaknesses, to cover our insecurities. Maybe we're using busyness because if we're really busy, maybe then people won't be able to get close enough to see who I really am and I don't like who I really am, so I'm going to use busyness as a cloak or as a barrier. And yet this was never as God intended it to be. He always intended us to be in relationship with him and relationship with each other. But there is good news, amen? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took every sin, every shame, every stuff up, everything we had ever done wrong, and he took it upon himself and he died for us. He took our place for us. And when we accept what he did on the cross, when we accept that he paid the price for us, it says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. He shares our humanity with us. He meets us where we're at and He restores our relationship to the Father. He restores our intimacy with the Father. But because God knows us so well and because He loves us so much, he knows that it isn't good for us to only be in relationship with him. We also need to be in relationship with others. And so he's created the church. And the Bible says a lot about the church, about what the church is like and, and how it should work. But one of the images it most picks up on is this image of the church being like a body. And we're going to look into that. So if you have your Bibles... Open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or turn them on if you're a smartphone user. I'll pray for you. No, it's all right. You can do it on your phone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I'm going to read verses 25 to 27. You know what? The whole chapter 12 is actually really awesome um, teaching on the church. I encourage you to read the whole thing. But for the sake of time, we're just going to read 25 to 27. I'm, um, I'm reading from the message, which is a really great indicator that God can work in any heart because usually I am a diehard New King James girl. Do I have anyone in the house? There's two of us. Three of us, four of us, come on. Okay, but here I am reading out of the message, preaching out of the message. God can do a miracle. Okay, Paul says this, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every, somebody say every. I I said that wrong. Everyone say every. With enthusiasm. Every. Help the preacher preach. Every part. Dependent. I hate that word. On every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. So here we have Paul and he's trying to teach the church at Corinth what church is like. And he says, you know, if you look at your physical human body, you can get a pretty good indication of what church is actually like. And if, you, if we look at our physical human bodies, it is made up of many different parts. We have hands, feet, knees, elbows. That's really awkward movement, isn't it? We have many different parts. My, my body isn't all just one giant eyeball rolling around because that wouldn't be a body. That would be a monster. Right? We are made up of many different parts and many different parts make up our body. It's the same thing in the church. The church is made up of people from different backgrounds, different skills, different gifts, different responsibilities, different roles, different personality types. Yet all together, all these different people and all these different parts make up the church. But then Paul goes a little bit further and he says that every part is dependent on every other part. And this is the section I don't like because I don't like depending on people. Is there anyone in the house? Independent people, raise your hand. Hi. I don't really like, depending on people, I like being independent. I like signing up to things online so I don't have to talk to a person. When, when uh, COVID hit and we all had to stay home and, and couldn't go out and do anything, we just had to be by ourselves at home, I felt like I had been preparing for that my entire life. I am an independent introvert. It's just who I am. And so I struggle with this thing where it says that every part is dependent upon every other part. And so I said to God, God, you've got to help me with this. So I brought it back to my physical body. And I, I like to run for fun. I know, it's sick. 
And, and I don't run particularly well. I'm more like the person, like, should we pull over and ask that poor girl if she's okay? I'm that runner. <laughs> and, you know, when I run, it would seem like my legs are doing all the work. But if you really think about it, a lot is going on for my legs to move. Because my brain needs to send a command. I don't even know how that works. I'm actually very interested. How does it come up with the command? And it has to send it to the nerves that go down my spinal cord, that hit motor neurons, that go to my muscles, that make them move so my legs will move. But now that my muscles are moving more, they require more oxygen, so my lungs need to breathe in more oxygen. And, and now I've got more oxygen, but they're stuck in my lungs. So I need my heart to pump that oxygen around my body, but I need something to carry the oxygen. So I need blood and I need veins and I need arteries to pump that oxygen round to my muscles. But now my muscles are still tired, so I need to use my arms when I'm running so that it stabilizes my body. And all of a sudden, I thought my legs were doing all the work, but in actual fact, they are dependent upon everything else in my body going right just for me to go from point A to point B. It is exactly the same in the church. Every part. The parts that seem important and the parts that don't. The parts that you see and the parts that you don't. Every part, every person, every role, every responsibility is dependent upon every other part. Everyone is important. Everyone has a role to play. And maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, lovely idea, but... I'm more like the eyelashes on your body. You can dress me up, but all I really do is take up space. Do you know that my eyelashes when I run even play a part? They stop the dust and dirt getting into my eyes so that I can see where I'm going to put my foot so I don't roll my ankle. You may be an eyelash in the kingdom of God, but you have a role to play. And every part is dependent upon every other part. You see, I need you and you need me. I need you, Talia, and you need me. I need you, Alison. I need you, Nimi. We all need each other. Every part is dependent upon every other part. And this is so not something that I have learnt on the mountaintops of life. This has been something this independent introvert has had to learn in the valleys of life. And honestly, it is something that I'm still journeying through, which is why I found this message so difficult. And about six years ago, we gave birth to our third child, Jai. And... It was a fairly typical pregnancy and it was a fairly normal birth and, uh, and we called him Jai, uh, which actually prophetically means victorious. 
if you ask, call your kid victorious, there's going to be a battle. And a few hours after he was born, he started vomiting. And I, I actually found that unusual because he, he hadn't fed. He'd been quite unsettled since he was born. And so I pressed the button for someone to come and help me. And a nurse came and we had a short exchange. And then she took him down the hall and said she was going to get him checked out for something. And within a few hours, I had, we had four baby doctors in the room and a paediatric surgeon with a medical consent form to sign. And they told us that this baby that had literally just been in my body a few hours before actually was very sick and had a bowel blockage that had to be dealt with. He couldn't live with it. And so they had to operate. And their hope was to go in and to cut out that bowel blockage and glue the pipes, sew the pipes, I didn't pay attention, back together. And they thought the recovery would be about two weeks in hospital after. And we were, we were absolutely devastated. Um, this baby that we had just, had just been born and we, we were really upset. But of course, we, we signed the medical consent forms and the next day, the surgeon went in to operate but it was like, it was a complete mess in there to use his terms. There was stuff growing in there. They didn't even know what it was. And as a result, they, they couldn't complete the surgery. Um, they did what they could. And then they, clo they closed him back up and sent him up to intensive care for babies known as the NICU, where he spent the next two months of his life. And during that time, he received numerous medical interventions, um, including a, a second surgery. And to say that that was the hardest time of our lives would be an understatement. It, it was unbelievably difficult. And the way that my husband, Aaron, dealt with it is he just wanted people around him. He wanted... Um, he wanted to have coffee with people and he wanted to pray with people on the phone. He, he wanted to come to services, but I was the polar opposite. I didn't, I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I, didn't, I remember I didn't even want to call my mum to tell her that he was sick. And I remember the doctors saying to me, um, you, you need to leave this hospital and go and get a coffee because I wasn't really leaving the hospital. And I didn't want to go. And I didn't want to go, not because I was scared that they wouldn't be able to look after Jai, but because I didn't want to go out into the city and see someone that I knew and them to ask me, are you okay? And I wasn't at all. I wasn't coping at all. And around this time, the church really came behind us they really supported us and we had so many meals given to us that our freezer couldn't contain them and we had someone organize a, a car spot for us in the city and that was great because we didn't have parking we had people give us heaps of money and we had people organize a cleaner for us and people helped out in so many incredible ways but I was still really struggling 
and I was struggling because it, wa- it wasn't about support. I was struggling because my baby was in hospital and all I wanted to do was just bring him home. And that was really hard. And I remember about a week after he was born, texting my friend Selena Cav, who's part of this church, and saying, I, um, I can't do this. I'm, I'm not strong enough to stand in faith for this. I don't, I don't, I can't, I just, I'm not coping. And she wrote back in the wisdom that is Selena Kavanagh. You don't have to be anything other than who you are right now. But know that we are standing in the gap for you and we're holding up your hands and we're with you in this. And all I could think about was this passage from Mark chapter 2. And it talks about this paralytic man who has a bunch of friends. And it says in there that these friends take the paralytic man and put him on a stretcher. And then they take him to the house that Jesus is preaching at, but their house is absolutely packed. And so they take him up to the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and they lower him down to Jesus. And then it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not even the faith of the paralytic, when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the paralytic man. And I'm struck by a lot of things in that story. But the main thing that I'm struck by is that those friends didn't just meet the physical, social needs of that paralytic man. They didn't just give him a meal and chuck him some money. They took him to Jesus. And when it came to that difficult time in our life, we didn't just have people that that gave us meals or took us to and from the hospital or gave us a casper, although all those things were amazing, incredible blessings. But we had a church of people that took us to Jesus, that stood in the gap, that prayed when we couldn't pray, that had faith when we didn't have faith, and they stood with us. I remember once we, 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 were, at, we were at home and we were sitting on our couch And there was actually a church thing on, but we just didn't have the heart to go to it. And Jai was still in hospital. And we got like 30 text messages come through our phone. A text bomb of love of people saying, we're standing with you. We're with you. We're holding up your hands. Jesus is with you, encouraging us bringing us to Jesus and encouraging us in our journey with Jesus. You see, the thing is, is that I need you. And what is happening to me in Jesus is inextricably linked to what is happening to you in Jesus. Every part is dependent upon every other part. And you can read... 100 commentaries on Mark chapter 2. And no one knows who they are. They are nameless in the story. But I know who they are. It's my church. You see, I need you. 
and you need me. Every part is dependent upon every other part. And God always intended us to be in relationship with him and relationship with each other. And I'm going to close in a minute. But before I do so, I want to ask you two questions. And the first one involves our relationship with God. You see, I don't feel like I can go any further today without giving people an opportunity. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I don't even have the main relationship right. I feel like I've got a broken relationship with God. I don't even know who God is. And I know I need to get right with God. I know I want to have relationship with the Father. And if I could have every eye closed just for privacy, just for space. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, that is me. That is me. I I have a broken relationship with God. I don't know who God is, but I know He's speaking to me and I need to get right with God. When Jesus paid the price on the cross, He took every sin, every shame, everything we had ever done wrong. He took our place for us. And the grace of the gospel is all we have to do is say, Jesus, come into my heart. And that relationship with the Father is restored. So before we go any further, I want to ask you, is that you today? And if it is, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Wonderful. Is there anybody else? Once you've raised your hand, you can pop it down if you like. Is there anyone else who's like, that is me. I need to get right with God. I have a broken relationship with God and I want to be restored to intimacy with Him. I'm going to pray for that person. God, I thank you, Lord, for the price that Jesus paid on the cross. God, I thank you that you took our our place for us. God, that it isn't, we don't have to do anything, Lord God. We just have to accept what you did. It's by grace alone. And so, Lord God, I lift up these people that are giving their life to you, saying, Jesus, make me right with the Father. I thank you that you see them, Lord God, and you know them. And we thank you, God, as they invite you into their heart, that you have changed their lives and their eternities forever. I've also really been sensing these past few weeks that there are people in this room that the thing that challenges you the most is vulnerability. And so many of us can be like Adam and Eve where we have things in our life that we place to hide our insecurities and vulnerabilities and weaknesses because we're scared that people might, might see them and they might think poorly of us or we don't like who we are and so we hide who we are. But God has never actually called us to be like that. He wants us to be in genuine relationship with other people. He, intimacy is a good thing. And I wanna provide an opportunity for you where you are in your seats. I'm not going to ask you to do anything radical, but I am going to ask you with every eye closed for you to raise your hands to heaven as I pray. Because I feel like when you you do a physical act, that it actually releases something in you. 
So as I pray, if you like, this message resonates with me. I feel like I've got to lay down some barriers that I've placed in my life. I feel like I've got to let go of some stuff that I've used to hide away my weaknesses. But I know God is calling me to lay them down and be vulnerable. I want you to raise your hands as I pray. God, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you that we don't need to be afraid. God, I thank you that you see us where we're at. You are so well aware of who we are. And God, we, I lift up these people that, myself included, that struggle, God, with vulnerability and with intimacy. And God, I thank you that you give us strength to be real. God, I thank you that you give us strength, God, to lay those things down. And God, as we walk out this journey, we pray that you would release something within us, God. Give us courage to be bold. Give us courage to be brave, Lord God, and step into areas of vulnerability that you've called us to. God, I thank you that you are always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And it's by your grace and your grace alone that we're restored to relationship with you and relationship with each other. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at C3 Hobart Online. If you were impacted by this message or you'd like to know a bit more about our church and what we do, you can get in touch with us via our website, c3hobart.org.au. See you next time.